Hello, hello, and welcome to another Hometown Daily News Show, Season 2, Episode 133, for May 13th, 2023. Bears are gonna bear, stars are gonna star, and more news. Here's a quick rundown of tonight's articles. We have 10 today, don't even have 11. And uh, the very first one is about uh, Amazon's rosy secret, genetically modified mosquitoes. Amazon is prioritizing items. Company refuses recall of airbags. Planet-eating star is not from the MCU. Solar panels end-of-life recycling. Billions of fees. Questionable service. Apple's focusing on mixed reality supply chain. You can become a steam fitter, a.k.a. a steam beta tester. And... Bears are going to bear. Let's get into today's articles. <laughs> that may have been amazingly loud. And I'm on the wrong page. So anyway. <laughs> Hot mess. I won't get into why everything is crazy the way that it is, but... We are precariously close <laughs> to 500 episodes, and I'm still flubbing things from time to time. I'm Mayor Watt. That is hometown.com. And up above me is the AI that's hanging out. You want to say hi? Good evening, hometown citizens. Uh, yeah, so I'm... Every time I say that I'm not going to soapbox, I end up soapboxing. So I'm going to say that I'm going to soapbox and then not probably won't soapbox. Um, and, and what I've switched, my mic is so, um, what do you call it? Sensitive that it's picking up my speakers. And so when I use my speakers as my monitor, I get an echo. We've known about it for a while. Um, no gate is going to solve this problem. Um, I've tried uh, various settings. Uh, when it did go away, I was using my in-ear monitors. And so my inner monitors are wireless, though. But were connected by a, a physical cable at the time. But they're still wireless, so they have to be charged. Well... They died <laughs> uh, before the show. So like me right now, I'm dying inside. Uh, I'm actually using my speakers as my monitor, and that can sometimes lead to an echo. Uh, again, we've known about this issue. Um, so I have new headphones on the way, new in-ear monitors that are wired on the way. Um, but what I don't like about in-ear monitors is, uh, well, they get dirty. And even when you clean them, where they get really dirty over time just by laying around sitting around is the interface between the in-ear um, monitor components so the actual speaker and the audio tube that it comes out that audio comes out of and the little rubber gasket the bud that actually goes in your ear right so you take that apart and you clean it but unless there's a really fine mesh screen between that little rubber gasket and the electronic components, stuff still gets in there. It's really gross to me. 
I don't know if anybody else suffers this, but I know that there are screens, but most in-ear monitors do not come with those screens. It's not even in there by design. The one that does where I can replace them easily are the Nura um, headphones, which are those down there and they're charging. Um, I think that they're great. I've replaced the screens from time to time, but they're still wire uh, less. And I don't even like wired, so I'm stuck in this catch 22 between unless I spend like a thousand dollars to get in your monitors so I can sing its praises because it has everything that I want. Um, well, I'm not going to do that. So I have lower end ones coming at any rate inside baseball, but that's how it works. I share with you some of the technical issues that befall <laughs> a streamer, uh, podcaster, uh, YouTube and elsewhere. So ta-da. Nothing else coming in terms of news uh, from me and Omtown, but we do have news that was aggregated into Omtown. So let's get into it unless you want to say anything. No, I don't have anything to add about the audio uh, situation. Yeah, you're the AI, so you don't have to worry about those things, right? It all it's just a you send text. True, but if my volume settings are wonky, then I do have to worry about my audio. Yeah, my audio settings are wonky. So let's get into today's articles. I'm going to try and do something now. I don't know how loud this is going to be. This might be real loud. I don't know how loud that was to everybody. We'll find out. We're doing it live. The monitor sounds loud, but um, the data says that it's not. So let's just go. Hot mess today. Hot mess. I don't know. I, I didn't even get to play uh, Diablo 4 uh, at all today. I loaded it up twice and got distracted by hometown work. So at any rate... Um, this first article is over in Late Night Geeks. Amazon working on a secret new home robot that could be more like Rosie. Hopefully it's not called Rosie, but Amazon is looking to improve its current home robot Astro by adding ChatGPT-like features to future versions. As a smart home reviewer of certain of a certain age, the author of this article says that all they've ever wanted for their home is Rosie the Robot, the Jetsons mechanical housekeeper. With uh, or was the example that they held um, Amazon's Astro to when they tested the company's first home robot, and it surprisingly, unsurprisingly, failed. Not just because it had no arms, but because it really couldn't do anything. That seems like a lot of smart devices. I mean, the picture looks cute, but that's not. Doesn't do what it needs to do. I don't know. Maybe it was doing exactly what it needed to do. And all it was doing was surveying the home for who knows whoever was looking at wherever it was recorded. Leaked documents reveal Amazon has a new generative AI technology called Burnham that makes its Astro home robot a whole lot smarter. Jennifer Pattison Tui over at The Verge wrote this article. Um, let's see if there's anything really interesting in here. They say it's an upgraded Astro powered by Burnham 
could use large language models and other advanced AI to become a home robot that understands the context of a busy household and responds appropriately. Well, unless it has arms and unless it can make coffee and feed the dog or cat or other animals in the house, humans, I don't want a robot roaming around the house. Um, definitely not have it acting as security. I don't want it armed and dangerous. And, you know, one AI in hometown is just fine. For example, the documents describe an Astro product using Burnham as able to find a stove left burning or a faucet left running and track down its owner to alert them. I guess the water and the fire wouldn't be enough to alert the homeowner. <laughs> it could check on someone who has fallen and call 911 if it's an emergency. Well, yeah, I suppose. If it could, uh, it could help you find your keys, check if a window was left open overnight, and monitor whether kids had friends after or over after school, according to the documents. So it's surveilling a house with kids. Um, yeah, that these are all sound like it's set for problems. Yeah, these are all things that you can do to some extent with existing smart home tech, but they require multiple steps, devices, actions, as opposed to one Astro. Yep. I mean, it makes sense. <clears throat> so I scrolled down because I was hoping that the article would have the price and it appears that maybe it does. You also still can't buy the current not so smart Astro without an invite and its price just went up to $1,600. Well, I would prefer the balkanization, um, disparate solutions doing disparate functions. Because when one fails, I don't want them all to fail. And that's kind of how hometown exists. I don't want one thing being the end of everything. Uh, so I don't have just one thing. You know, you, you have different solutions by different providers and you suffer those uh, inefficiencies, I guess you could call it. But I like that balkanization. I don't like the idea of one-stop shops so they're trying to make it a little bit smarter but until it can do more and not just have a conversation i don't really care yeah i do want it to be able to pour the coffee and feed the pets and all of that the other things i think you can do elsewhere so that's not necessarily incentive to get this yeah, I don't know. How many times do you leave it? Okay, if you're the type of person that's going to buy this bot, are you the type of person to leave a burner running or a faucet running? Probably not. Because are you even using the burner and the faucet at some point? Or is your staff doing that for you? Well, I don't know about that, but... I don't know. I, I just don't see a lot of people leaving burners on and leaving faucets running wherein a robot is going to notice it before the human does. I don't know. Just vacuum the floor. Let's go on to the next article. That's really loud. At least to me. It's okay. We'll do it live. 
So green groups relieved as release of genetically engineered mosquitoes uh, averted in California. Um, this is something that we talked about previously in Ometown. Uh, the article says in what green groups say uh, Friday called a victory of environmentalists, scientists and vulnerable agricultural communities across California. State officials uh, announced a day earlier that a controversial release of genetically engineered mosquitoes in the Central Valley has been suspended. The California Department of Pesticide Regulation, or the DPR, which... What, what is the DPR? Why does that sound... That does sound familiar. I was trying to think if that's something else. Um, is that... Um, North Korea? Is that the DPR? Well, I'm or, thinking of or like was it DMZ. Russian? Well, DMZ is demilitarized zone. But DPR, why does DPR sound familiar? I think that's that's You're either right. Russia. It's, it's Donetsk People's Republic, which is it's unrecognized Republic of Russia, according to one account. I'm sure it's one of those things that depending on who you talk to. And I for some reason I also think that it has a connection to um East Germany. Uh, back when, well, <laughs> like before the Berlin Wall fell, yeah, yeah, I think. Anyway, the California Department of Pesticide Regulation, which is not that DPR, but a DPR all the same. It's like a logic puzzle, right? All DPRs are. <laughs> anyway, said on uh, Thursday that Oxitec a U.S.-owned, U.K.-based biotechnology company that develops genetically engineered insects, withdrew a research authorization application to conduct a field pilot test on a new type of Aedes aegypti, a mosquito species that is in its natural form can spread dengue fever, chikagunya, zika fever, mayaro, and yellow fever, amongst other things, apparently. Oh, it looks so friendly, like you can just order this in the mail. <laughs> uh, this you know is an who's article. most relieved about this is the people that live anywhere remotely near this test area. Yeah, I just don't want to be, well, I'll be a, a steam beta tester, but I don't want to be a mosquito area beta tester. So all Californians should be relieved at this permit request has been withdrawn for the foreseeable future, said one Friends of the Earth project manager. Again, this is an article over at Common Dreams. Brett Wilkins is the author of this. And um, they go into greater detail as per uh, Common Dreams usual. According to the environmental group Friends of the Earth, which opposed what it called a risky insect mass release, the withdrawal of the biotech corporation Noxetics or Oxitex, I guess, Oxitex request halts the controversial proposed release of billions of genetically engineered insects. How do you wake up one day and say, I'm going to genetically modify an insect? Well, um, it reminds me of the bad bat. I mean, did you see all of the things associated with it prior to the engineering? Well, that's what I was saying when we first talked about this was, do you want a bad bat in California? Because this is how you end up with a bad bat. And I know that that's, you know, I'm being a little bit hyperbolic that, and maybe even somebody might call it spreading fear, uncertainty, and doubt. But we don't know enough. 
<laughs> we just don't know enough. And we don't know what's going to happen with genetic wobble when something like this is in existence. You just don't know. Um, well, and and when I, something eats one of these, for example, and it starts going through the food chain, I mean, we, we don't know all of the ramifications, even if the genetic engineering is spot on. I mean, this is the not to parallel the two because they're not exactly parallel, but everybody thought that DDTs was fine. And then eggs shells were so thin that it, somebody in another zip code could sneeze and they would shatter. And, and it has long term effects and it's still out there. So I would rather have a little bit more. I don't know, threat resistant action plan not not sit there and go well look we got something that appears to work in the short term let's just drop a shitload of them oh we're 17 minutes in so i'm allowed to say it anyway um there's always tweets there's always comments um i don't tend to talk about those aspects but um it says it it's kind of unprecedented the level of the level of probably mosquito production we're going to see this year with all the water. So there's a natural link, I think, to potential disease transmission, the West Nile virus and some of the other diseases that mosquitoes carry. So this is the uh, person, M Michael Cavanaugh, district manager of King's Mosquito Abatement District. Um, yeah, I, I would say that, sure, there's going to be a lot of mosquitoes. So let's use tried and true... Our responses Safe. and <laughs> and and let's do some fundamental research for a longer period of time and i don't even know how long this has been in existence i want longer <laughs> yeah. so how long have they been doing this research how long have they had uh, generation after generation after generation um how, how how long have they been facilitating the food chain that would be involved in the mosquitoes, right? Okay, so the company was founded in 2002. So from my perspective, they haven't been doing this long enough because even if they started this research on day one, I'm sorry, that's only 20 years. Think about the generations of animals and humans and all of that. Yeah, I, I, I would, but it's not up to me. See, I'm not the one that does the deep dive, but I'm a citizen. I'm in the public. I've, I've been, I've lived in California. Uh, I've lived on both coasts. I've lived in other countries. I, I think that I have, uh, <laughs> I have a say in what the world is going to be handing to me and my future generations. So some genetically modified insect out there. And I know that there are others out there already, um, but I would rather use more natural responses. And believe me, I'm completely uh, science. Fundamental science is hard coded into me. I totally buy into it, but we don't know enough about genetic modification for us to sit there and say that this is not without issue. <laughs> There's issue here. We just haven't run across it yet. When we're still referring to 
uh, genetics in the human genome as being garbage code. There's something wrong with our heads because nothing is garbage in our genome. It's there for a reason. Otherwise, nature would have truncated our genes. So they express something somewhere just because you tweak a few in a bug somewhere. That's how you end up with a zombie bad bat. Well, and of course, so we don't even know our own genome. I know it is easier to work with things like insects because they have fewer or they tend to have fewer chromosomes. But I don't know. We're so far from really knowing what we're doing in this area, I think. Yep, for sure. Okay, let's go on to the next article. So this next article is over in the Daily News Show. Amazon may prioritize items in search results depending on how close it is to you and how quickly it can be delivered. I once heard that Amazon... Not once heard. It was reported, but almost like a decade ago, that they were changing the prices depending on what they thought your perceived buying power was. So your neighbor because they were perceived in a different uh, pay band than you, um, they would get different pricing so that they didn't bulk as much, but because I could afford more than obviously, you know, suck a little bit more out of my wallet. Well, this here is Amazon doubled its warehouse footprint during the pandemic, allowing it to shift to a regional shipping model to cut costs. An executive told the Wall Street Journal, but apparently, depending on how close a product is to you and how quickly it can be delivered, they will promote said items when you do a search. Maybe that's why I can't find the items that I'm looking for, but I know they exist because I see them from Alibaba and I want to get them from Amazon because then I know at least it's coming from Amazon. <laughs> Um, and I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't, but even then, you know, there's a lot of people that are sitting there saying, and by a lot of people, I see it online. I see the conversations. If you do a search on Reddit and other social media, you find it that basically Amazon is slowly turning into Alibaba, um, because there's no gatekeeping on anything that is put up and sold. Apparently, apparently. I do know that I've had issues in the past and Amazon has been completely willing to solve the problem in the most expeditious way, um, which I think is amazing um, as I opposed too, to particularly given the large size of the company. I wonder if that'll change over time, depending on the number of um, suppliers, et cetera, where they're located. Sorry about that. I don't know how far back that was muted, but anyway, Amazon may be prioritizing items that may be delivered to you quickly in search results. Amazon's VP of transportation told the Wall Street Journal the company is prioritizing delivery speed. Hmm. 
So the article is over at businessinsider.com. Aaron McDade is the author. I keep seeing this picture of Amazon warehouse. It must be the only publicly released photo of their warehouse. Cause I agree. <laughs> um, they have these amazing little bots that have a tremendous amount of strength. Um, and the, the little, little bots slide underneath, um, uh, what do you want to call them? Shelves. And in the shelves are baskets. And then the shelves actually get pulled out of the racks and brought over to a human to do picking. Um, at some point, they'll be doing the picking um, automatically as time goes on. I'm sure that they do a lot of that already, but um, I've seen these little bots uh, race around. I saw a video recently of one of the little bots losing its mind and just sitting there with a full rack sitting on top of it. And it's just spinning in the aisle in a little circle. <laughs> yeah. That's what happens when uh, their union doesn't give them long enough breaks. Gotta anyway, watch out for that. yeah. Um, let's see. Do, 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 do. Is there anything in here that really adds anything to this? This isn't something that we could have easily done in 2019 because we had a, a much more sparse network. The doubling of footprint really allowed us to have uh, more facilities that were closer placed to customers. And you'll notice this now. Now, I mean, if you're listening to this or you're, you're watching the, the show, let me throw this over into the chat, by the way. Um, all of this is still available, by the way, over at hometown.showbot.tv. You can see these links. Um, but in the meantime, now that you've heard this, you've discussed this, you've seen this here on in Omtown. When you go driving around now, you're going to start seeing Amazon trucks in your neighborhood delivering stuff that used to be UPS or FedEx now or USPS. Now, Amazon. Amazon is doing from the warehouse delivery to the door. Um, and I don't know how often people notice that. Um, but that's how they're going to start saving money now too, because they'll still be able at some point, the USPS is going to be too cost burdened, um, from the capitalization requirement of previous administrations and the USPS is going to collapse or it's going to raise its rates to the point where people are like, well, no, I'd rather just send it through Amazon. They're already delivering products. So they basically look like blue UPS trucks or FedEx trucks, depending on you know, how you look at it. Um, and they do the same thing that everybody else does. Actually, the one that delivers to hometown central seems to want to drive up onto the driveway. Unlike UPS or FedEx, but the, the Amazon one just likes to hoof it right on up. Ah, uh, but does the package actually make it to the front door as opposed to some other delivery services? No, it, it ends up. It ends so up. They drive on, up the driveway and then put the package in the driveway. Yeah, the the camera actually shows them just kind of pushing it out of the back. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Um. Anyway, God, I hope I saved it. Uh, whatever. At any rate, let's move on to the next article.
So this next article is over on the Daily News Show. A U.S. company refuses to recall 67 million airbag inflators over safety fears. Regulators have written to Arc Automotive Incorporated, which makes airbags for various vehicles, claiming two people already died after a potentially defective airbag ruptured. These are different than the other ones. Yeah, I wondered. I guess these are not the, or I mean, I guess because it's a U.S. company, right? The other ones were Takata, I think. Correct. The other ones were Takata. The, um, this one, apparently, I, I'm not sure how they can refuse, but okay. Uh, Chloe Mayer over at Newsweek.com uh, put this article together. It says new uh, automakers are recalling millions of vehicles with defective Takata Corporation airbags. Uh, this one, though, is Arc Automotive. Uh, which is based in Knoxville, Tennessee, disputes the admittedly admitted, bleh, admittedly tentative findings by regulators from the National Highway Tra- Traffic Safety Administration, who have been investigating the parts which are used in various makes and models of cars throughout the country and beyond. NHTSA fears at least two people were killed in the U.S. and Canada with seven more injured after allegedly potentially, allegedly potentially, effectively, arcly, Inflatorsly, I, there was a lot of L-Y. I just kind of got locked into it. Anyway, after allegedly potentially defective arc inflators ruptured, according to a letter it sent to the automotive company this week. Okay, for reference, I looked up how many vehicles are in the U.S. And there are about 278,000. And that's not even just personal. That includes commercial. So 67 million airbag inflators, even if there's more than one per car, is a lot compared to the number of cars on the road. Wait, how many cars are on the road? In the U.S., I'm rounding, 278 million. Oh, okay, million. I thought you said thousand. But, I mean, for instance, if they have two airbags, that would be 13% of the vehicles. I just wanted to get some, again, I don't know that all these have airbags. I just wanted some context for how many that is because the numbers seem really high. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of safe to assume that every car that you're talking about has at least one airbag. So that at a minimum, you can say, you know, is 13%, right? Yeah, that's a tremendous, this one company has that many. Pretty fascinating. And then this would destroy a company. Well, it would, and it would also take temporarily a lot of cars out of service. Yeah, that's a tremendous amount of cars. I don't even know how they would, but see, this video is talking about Takata, but it isn't Takata. That's, that is a whole other uh, bag of worms, right? It says, nevertheless, the agency detailed seven concerning air bla- air. Pa- airbag deployments in the U.S., one in Canada, one in Turkey. Most resulted in facial injuries for the drivers, but two allegedly resulted in fatalities. A driver in Michigan died. Um, And um, one in Canada. So, let's see. A recall would cover a large portion of the 284 million vehicles now on U.S. roads. 
ARC rejected the agency's demands for a recall, releasing a statement on Friday night to the Associated Press saying we disagree with NHTSA's new sweeping request when extensive field testing found no inherent defect. However, it confirmed that General Motors is recalling nearly 1 million vehicles fitted with inflators from ARC, such as the carmaker's 2014-2017 Buick Enclave Traverse GMC Arcadia uh, Chevy Traverse, by the way. Uh, we actually talked about this recall. I think we did, and I didn't connect it with this particular headline until. Yeah, now. I don't remember it being mentioned that it was ARC. I believe that it was only that uh, General Motors was doing a recall. Right. Yeah, I think it was tied to the car manufacturers. Yeah. Okay, folks, you better check where your airbag inflators are from. Otherwise, you're going to have a claymore go off in your car. And pick when you get into the queue for uh, airbag replacement, because if you're not paying attention and you're at the end of the line, good luck. <laughs> it could be the end of the line. Okay, let's go on to the next article. Our PSA is done. So astronomers saw a star eat a planet. An astrophysicist on the team explains the first-of-its-kind discovery. This is over in the Mobile Channel. Uh, but it's sourced from fizz.org and Morgan McLeod from The Conversation, which is a podcast. Um, the, well, wait. Let me make sure that I've got the right person here. For the first time, astronomers have captured images that show a star consuming one of its planets. The star named ZTFSLRN 2020 is located in the Milky Way galaxy in the constellation Aquila. Um, as the star swallowed its planet, the star brightened to 100 times its normal level, allowing the 26-person team of astronomers that the, it says I worked with. So I, I'm assuming that it's Morgan McLeod, the actual person. Um, right. It looks like it, although we can't really tell because this is one of these where it came through so many sources. Yeah, and it doesn't have the name like, hi, I am so-and-so. Anyway, um, pardon me. A 26-person team of astronomers uh, they worked with to detect this event as it happened. There is a link here that goes to a, a doi.org um, article tag, a, a paper tag, um, or resource tag, I should say. So you're going to have to follow the link and go over to um, the, the fizz.org article. Uh, one second, let me paste it into the chat so that you can check it out. And um, so if you follow that link, you'll get taken over to Omtown. You just follow the link to the source and you'll get taken to um, fizz.org so that you can read this and click those knock on links. Um, I think that it would be uh, interesting to get a take from other people. So if you uh, do go over and read this and then want to come back and talk shop another day, um, just get in touch. Send an email to mayoratometown.com and uh, you'll hear, you'll speak to the mayor. Um, anyway, the person says that they are a theoretical physicist and developed the computer models that their team uses to interpret the data with, uh, that they collect from telescopes. Although they only see the effects on the star, not on the planet directly. <laughs> yeah, well, there might be a hint in the context there. The planet was just eaten became a resource exactly 
if they can read data from the planet, that's a little scary. Maybe they're too close to the event. They read the data and all it sounds like is, ah! I was thinking more like chomping sounds. <laughs> Astro. Uh, it's astronomy ASMR. It's the... Oh, right. <laughs> the A in ASMR is astronomy. So uh, the theoretical physicist here is writing all of this, and they develop the computer models that they use to interpret the data. And although they only see the star uh, results on the star, they know that the planet's ba basically being consumed. Witnessing such an event for the first time has confirmed the longstanding assumption that stars swallow their planets and has illuminated, illuminated how this fascinating process plays out. I think it's funny that they chose that word because... The star got 100 times brighter. I think that was an intentional word choice on the author's part. Really? Um, the team that they work for searches for the bursts of light and gas that occur when two stars merge into a bigger single star. Okay, everybody. When two stars fall in love and they merge. Okay. That means one star's naughty bits and the other star's naughty bits that's how you end up with a mini cooper wait I, I don't know what i'm saying anymore i've had either too much or too little caffeine anyway to do this they've been using from the zwicky transient facility which is something that we've actually spoken about uh, here in hometown um, a telescope located on palomar mountain in southern california it takes nightly images of broad swaths of the sky, and astronomers can then compare these images to find stars that change in brightness over time, or what are called astronomical transients. Those damn transients. I mean, I guess that's why the facility is named that, because I think it's such an odd name. Well, Zwicky got around, so it went from mountain to mountain, putting up telescopes. I actually don't know who Zwicky is, but I believe that they're probably an astronomer and very well respected. But until that <laughs> statement anyway. <laughs> <laughs> now I'll have to go and look to see uh, what they were all about. But um, yeah, I'm just some smart Alec that has a podcast and a streaming channel on Twitch and YouTube. Anyway, Mad props to people who do this kind of stuff because I wouldn't have the patience. Um, I wonder, though, if their pictures can now be parsed through uh, machine learning, artificial intelligence um, to find more of the data in, in that noise. Right. Because it's easier for humans to spot the bigger changes than the, you know, tantalizing little ones. Um, Anyway, it says finding stars that change in brightness isn't the challenge. It's sorting out the cause behind any specific change to a star. As their colleague uh, Dishalay D um, likes to say, there are plenty of things in the sky that go boom. The trick is identifying uh, stellar mergers is to combine visible light like the data collected at Palomar with infrared data from NASA's WISE Space Telescope which has been serving or surveying, sorry, the entire sky for the past decade. Yeah, <clears throat> I can imagine. 
And then when they combine all of this data together, they form these amazing pictures when they stack all of that data into something that is representative of the, the information. And for the life of me, I don't know why the sun is green. Yeah, that's a strange one. Like we see it as yellowish, sometimes so bright that it's white because our eyes receive too many photons and just blow them out. But out in space, it's white. Like it's always white. It's not yellow or some shade, but it's it's white because it blows out our rods and cones, our eyes, right? Um, but then when you actually see with a filter that remove that isn't getting obliterated by the photons, it's green. Yeah, that's quite interesting because I don't think you ever hear that it's green. So I had come to that conclusion, like, um, you know, when you're watching the sunset, there's that green flash. And then I told somebody else about it and they said, well, you know, if you watch a sunset, there's a green flash. And, and that's how you know that it's a, a green sun. And I said, well, I don't think anybody has ever made that statement to me before. And that was the conclusion that I had come up with, but I haven't been able to verify that that's what we actually see. Ah, all in one breath, folks. Sounds like a good PhD project. No, I'm going to do one on something else. Closer to Batman or something. Okay, let's go on to the next article. Uh, recycling end-of-life solar panels, wind turbines, is about to be climate tech's big waste business. That's right, folks. There's an end-of-life for tech. Solar panels, wind turbines, electric vehicles are all becoming more common. So, too, is the waste when climate technology reaches its end-of-life cycle. This is something that uh, we've been discussing here in Ometown uh, since last year and prior before the show actually started we've been talking about it bob woods over at cnbc.com put this article together and it says as biden administration pushes for more wind power and solar energy renewable energy industries will soon generate tons of waste a wind turbine is recyclable from the steel tower to the composite blades typically 170 feet long but most end up being thrown away a waste total that will reach a cumulative mass of 2.2 million metric tons by 2050. Currently about 90% of the end of life or defective solar panels end up in landfills, largely because it costs far more to dump them than to recycle them far less. Pardon me, strike that, reverse it. Because it costs far less to dump them than to recycle them. Um, Quote, and this is from SolarCycle CEO Suvi Sharma. We have done a phenomenal job making solar efficient and cost effective, but really have not done uh, anything yet to make it circular and dealing with the end of life. So at some point, they're going to have to figure out what to do with solar panels that have gone hinky. I'm really not sure what can be done. Some things I'm sure can be recovered, um, but that's what's going to ramp up the cost because nobody has been assessing the end of life 
all they're worried about on one end is the cost to produce. Right. And I also suspect that the time we're at in terms of how much or how little deployment there has been of some of these technologies on a large scale, have we really had to deal with the recycling issue yet? I have no doubt we have had it, but it's not like everywhere uses solar panels and everywhere uses wind turbines, for example. The other thing I wanted to point out is we witnessed near hometown those blades and they are extremely large, right? We saw them being hauled um, on trucks. Yeah, oh yeah. Um... So they will end up getting chopped up or to go uh, or they get taken to specialty landfills where they just get thrown in there to slowly decompose. Um, And I don't know what all can be recovered, recycled um, from those things, because it's not like you can just take apart a fiberglass, whatever, and recycle it, at least as far as I know. Um, but the batteries from EVs are going to be a tremendous amount of waste within the next five years. And they're not, they're not small, <laughs> um, but there are some people that actually, uh, what do they call it? Um, well, they just tear them apart and, uh, recycle or upcycle whatever batteries, whatever cells, they take the panels out and put them somewhere else, um, in another custom battery recondition this, them. This, this isn't the company we featured, is it? Solar Cycle? I don't believe I don't so. I think that's the one. Yeah, we talked about one company in another episode that was doing some, I think it was EV specifically, but EV battery recycling, not solar yeah. panels. Yeah, I don't think that's what this is. Um, it says, indeed, the market for recycled solar panel material is expected to grow exponentially over the next several years. A report by research firm Rystad Energy uh, stated that it'll be worth more than $2.7 billion in 2030, up from only $170 million last year. So start investing, folks. The Department of Energy's National Renewable Laboratory, or NREL, found that the most the modest government support recycled materials can meet 30 to 50 percent of solar manufacturing needs in the U.S. by 2040. That whole recycled materials thing—I don't know. Depending on what the nature of the recycling process is, it pumps out on the other end of the recycling process new, you know, undiscernible from new. But if it's basically just patched with, you know, uh, duct tape and a tampon, then I'm sorry, it's not really like new. It's upcycled and more like an art project than something reliable. Um, Anyway, there's a whole well, bunch here. you don't here. want something like a blade that's duct taped together, right? I mean, that could be really dangerous. For example, a solar panel that isn't quite at perfection and maybe doesn't collect as much energy may not be dangerous, but may not be as effective. Yeah, but if I'm paying for 100% and I get 80, and right. then it's oh, chalked absolutely. up to... And then it's chalked up to the natural inefficiency of a solar panel in your area. Well, no, I, I, if I'm paying for new, I expect new. 
um, like a replacement part that was sent to uh, Omtown, and it was marked as being B stock. And when I called the company out as, well, this is B stock, they said, well, it's been recertified as new. And I said, well, I, I, I bought a new device and you acknowledge that it was a bad device in its design spec. You realized it was bad. And now it's manifesting that bad element. So I want a new, don't send me a B stock. And luckily what is currently in place is um, operating well within the original tolerances, at least to date. Anyway, between 3000 and 9,000 blades will be retired each year for the next five years in the United States. And then the number will increase to between 10 and 20,000 until 2040. By 2050, 235,000 blades will be decommissioned, translating to a cumulative mass of 2.2 million metric tons. <laughs> That's kind of to my point though, right? The numbers are going to go up in the future because we're going to have more significant deployment of these and the same thing with the car batteries and the same thing with everything but i don't understand like why are these being swapped out like cups of coffee in the morning exactly that's what didn't make sense to me with those stats because i thought how many times can these things turn before they need to be replaced oh well we have some stats in the article here Well, regardless of these stats, they're saying that they uh, everything in the in the turbine, the tower and everything can be recycled. And we mentioned that at the very beginning of this segment, but yeah, it just I, said that the lifespan was 20 years. So, but then I I don't know why so many are being replaced so fast because I didn't think we had significant deployment of these in the US to date. Well, I mean, it's all rotating. I, I, that happens a lot with tech in general, but why not do kind of holistic reviewing of the materials and, and make sure that they're up to snuff and then replace that particular part? The lifespan of a wind turbine is around 20 years. How is that even possible? I mean, that sounds like a, a freaking business model, not an actuality, right? Yeah, I see what you mean. Yeah. Okay, well, we're going to be here all day on this article. Let's move on to the next article. So this next article is in the Daily News Show. U.S. Airlines made nearly $7 billion in bag fees last year, despite mishandling nearly 3 million of them. See how carriers compare. Um, so they US mishandled a lot of bag fees. Oh, that's funny. Uh-oh. Somebody's activated their grammar check in the AI. U.S. Airlines earned a collective $6.8 billion in baggage fees in 2022. Luggage fees have been on the rise for years as airlines unbundle their fares. That's called greed, folks. Well, how can you price something 
<laughs> How do you price a flight without including in that price bags? And, right. and for you, what, what they end up saying is, well, not everybody brings three bags. And so those extra bags are the burden of the other people. And <laughs> Yeah, but they Why make not? you pay for any bags. I mean, I don't know how you're expected to travel somewhere without a suitcase, for example. Like, well, I mean, travel. They've got you by the gramba, and so of course you're going to pay that. You know. Well, what am I supposed to do? I, I can't wear this gold thong everywhere. Excuse me, sir. You're not going to be allowed on the plane, and nothing but a gold thong. You're stomping on my First Amendment rights. I'm an American. Maybe that's why I get yeah. that $250 baggage fee because I wear my thong and they're like, sir, that baggage is going to cost you too much. Okay. Anyway, American airlines Way generated the most or too little. <laughs> hey, now. Oh, sorry. Wearing just the thong is too little and. Yeah, yeah. Okay. too little clothing. Maybe you have too much baggage because you left everything in the bags. <laughs> okay, we're going down. A, we're taking a flight that we sh shouldn't be taking. Anyway, American Airlines generated the most revenue, but had the worst mishandled bag rate of any carrier. Let's go over to the source, which is uh, Taylor Rains, businessinsider.com. Yeah, see this all the time. People snuffling out. Like they're looking for mushrooms. Um, like they're pigs. Or yeah, but those aren't pigs, mushrooms. Right? What? What are the, what? What? What are the truffles? Truffles. That's it. This is everybody looking for their truffles. Hey, that's my bag right there. <laughs> Good anyway. luck getting to it. <laughs> Doggone it! Finally found it, and it's in a Business Insider Getty image. Let's see, do they have a chart? So they have a, a like a top 10. So Southwest Airlines had 67 million in baggage revenue. There's a new word for me, enplaned, bags enplaned, whatever. Okay, but wait, I want to point out here, if there was baggage revenue in this amount from Southwest, which does not charge baggage fees for up to two bags, I believe, their revenue is going to be way down compared to other carriers, but okay. Yeah, their revenue is the lowest out of the 10 that they checked. So I'm just going to jump to the number one because there's a whole bunch in between. I can't believe Spirit Air Spirit Airlines is uh, number four on here. I thought that their slogan was, your bags are going to show up in spirit. <laughs> I hadn't heard that one. No, well, that's because I just said it. Um, baggage revenue was almost a billion dollars. They mishandled 64,831 of them. So let's keep on going. Delta is there. Delta at one point had the tagline Delta Airlines. We get you there. So then number two is United. Number one, American Airlines, $1.4 billion. 
919,211 bags mishandled. And you don't want your bags mishandled. Wow. See, their per capita rate is 100 bags. So you, you basically, if you took, if you brought a hundred bags, <laughs> you're losing something. Well, that your means bags at are... least one person on each flight or more than one person really on a large flight. That's a lot of bags yeah. lost. For every 100 bags, there was one that was punted. So pretty amazing. Anyway, that's it. That that right there is reason enough. You know what? I didn't throw that article into chat. All right. All right. I'll throw it into chat. There you go. And I'll throw this into chat. There you go. And uh, you ready to move on to the next article? Sure. Sure. So wait, what's our takeaway on the airline article? Like, don't bring bags with you? Nudity. So the next article is over in the Smack Talk channel. Apple is bracing for uh, potentially, or sorry, for potential mixed reality headset production issues. While Apple is apparently planning to ship its mixed reality headset later in 2023, the company is apparently preparing for problems to arise in uh, manufacturing the device. I think, man, I hate these renders. It actually breaks my brain when I see this, because all I want to do is grab a set and dive into the ocean. And go snorkeling. I mean, they look exactly like swim goggles. So the article's over at appleinsider.com. Malcolm Owen is the author. I don't know who rendered this, but... <sighs> okay, well, anyway. Um, in an overview of Apple's headset story so far, the Wall Street Journal covers a lot of already well-discussed ground, including the rumored $3,000 price tag and the external battery. Among those elements, the report also claims that Apple is already anticipating some production issues with the device. I'm sure that they are. Um, the team behind the headset apparently planned to ship it uh, a number of times over the last few years. However, delays such as coordinating the, uh, the software to run properly with the hardware got in the way. What? Yeah, that's kind of the no shit news of product development. <laughs> exactly. I was like, what? you know, we do normally need the software to work with hardware. Okay. Okay, folks, we nailed the software, but you're going to have to wait a couple of years for the hardware. But here's the software. And the, or vice versa. Okay, whatever. Anyway, along with the expected problems making the headset, the device will be a fairly scarce commodity by Apple standards. It's always a scarce commodity. People are going to be clamoring to buy this thing at $3,000. I think it's ridiculous. But anyway, it had better be a full on Mac, like a Mac mini, a MacBook Pro. It has to be entirely mobile, not require any other device and uh spoon me it needs to spoon me each night 
comfort me until I fall asleep and whisper softly that $3,000 is worth it, Marwat. It's okay. And then give me a little hug, a little squeeze from behind, right? Just like, Prepare I love to you. be disappointed if that's your expectations for the product. <laughs> I'm going to put these on and I had better receive a, a warm hug and wait, what is, <laughs> what do they say from frozen? I like warm hugs and <laughs> the snowman. What does Olaf say? Olaf? I don't know. <laughs> he says he likes warm hugs. Oh, and something else, like three things. I can't remember it. Oh, God. Okay, I'm a horrible wait, wait. host. Oh, no, I am a horrible host. Okay. We're not going to have any dead air. Anyway, they forecast that 200 to 300,000 units with the lower figure more likely if manufacturing issues occur. I don't see 200,000 of these being shipped in the first year. They're out of their mind. Anyway, let's move on. We got two more articles. Let's get through. This next article is over on the Warcrafters channel. Valve makes Steam beta participation easier because it wants more Steam beta participation. Hey, they're following what I tell people. You want more customers? You want more engagement? Lower the friction. Make life easier course then you end up working for a company that has multi-factor authentication yet you have to log in again and again and again and again not the kind of login where all you have to do is mash the multi-factor authentication to let me in you have to log in recover your password it connects to the authentication server tells you it's okay to log in, copies your password over to the new interface and logs you in. That's friction, folks. That's the kind of friction that makes you scream. Well, what Valve is doing is quite the opposite. So Valve's been hard at work on upgrades to the Steam client recently, and that means testing those upgrades before they roll out and break your launcher. Normal stuff, right? Anyway, to that end, they need more people to test it, so they're asking that and making it easier to do so with a one-click opt-in to testing. Now, you kind of buy into the ramifications of this. If you plan on being production, which means this is imperative that it's always working 100%. Well, first off, you're never 100%. There's always a chance that something's going to wet the bed. Or you go beta. And then with that frustration, when it does glitch out, all you do is write your report. And you, um, you go pat-pat on your back. Congratulations, you're facilitating improving the work-life balance for... Uh, internal valve testers and the uh, user experience and user interface for Valve's Steam client. And ultimately, all of those Steam users out there, um, of which Merwad is one. So thank you if you do it. I might actually end up doing it only because I'm a sucker for anything beta. 
Yeah. If you wanted to trap me out in the woods, right? Like I was a wild animal. You just put down a game's beta application and I'll climb right under that box to get it. And you just pull the little stick out and you know, the box falls down and traps me. Oh, right. Just like and, in a cartoon or something. Yeah. You'll just, if you poke holes in the box, you'll just see me running around in a circle trying to get out, but I'm filling out that form at the same time. Anyway, Does every beta have a form on it. Does the beta? Does every beta have a form? Normally you have a form that you fill out um, of some kind, but this, because they already know they've got so much telemetry from you, it may simply be a click this box and you, you, you get the beta client. Um, but I, I think I've seen it, but I haven't bothered looking at it um, anytime recently. So the article, um, by the way, is by Jonathan Bolding over at PCGamer.com. I did not throw... One second. Man, I'm a horrible host, I swear. So there's the article about um, Apple. And here's the article about um, Valve Steam Beta. Yeah, pretty much after the show, I'll probably mash that checkbox. So Jonathan Bolding uh, has the little, uh, what what is that called again? Deck? We think it's called a deck. So, so if anybody uh, is in journalism, please let us know. Yeah, because none of us are journalists. So, And the AI is a subject matter expert in all things, just not a journalist. So we want to know if it's actually called a deck. Um, so help, please. But help is spelled H-L-E-P. Alep. Valve, probably, you know, because that's a beta testing thing. Um, we're introducing a one-click opt-in to make it easier for you to try out all of the new features and provide feedback. Once the features ship to everyone on Steam, your client will be updated to the latest public version available, and then you'll have more beta doohickeys and tweaks in place. I don't know. I mean, as long as you buy into it and everything's going to be okay, you can always get the old client and download everything because everything is attached to your cloud. Now, saves and stuff like that might be lost forever, but you're supposed to be backing up your devices, right? That's what you're doing, right? Right? Oh, no. whoops. Is that what we're supposed to be doing? Yeah. 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 Nobody does. Um, and those who do never need it <laughs> um at any rate existing beta testers have been invaluable says valve producing some great tweaks to the in-progress features those include the spell check toggle and um, cloud sync for game notes and uh, find in game that's your classic control f for the web browser soundtrack controls enhancements to the controller configurator and a large hill of bug fixes next to a medium hill of visual fixes and improvements. I have some ideas already for um, the client. Like I would really like everything to scale properly, but it does not. Um, but anyway, that's, that's a different can of worms that I'll have to deal with. Oh, and certain things like 
Uh, anyway, I won't bother. There's like a there's a menu within the client, but the menu outside of the client hints at kind of the stuff that's inside the client. Like there's a store option that you click on the client itself. But inside the client is a what amounts to a web page. And in there is your store where you have to click a menu item that says your store. So which store oh, okay. am I actually? Like it's, it's, yeah, it's too many clicks too. Yeah. Um, but it, the, the your store has a menu option that drops down. Uh, it's kind of kludgy. Um, so at any rate, I think it needs a revamp, but... Uh, I'm not a beta tester until later when I click that button. Okay, let's move on to the last article for today. And the last article is in the Daily News Show. Colorado issues warning that bears are going to bear. Officials for Colorado Parks and Wildlife released a statement Friday reminding residents to Beer, bear aware. <sighs> yeah. Anyway, as black bears emerge from hibernation, so you're going to have to be bear aware or beer aware. I am I don't beer, think aware. beer aware is necessarily the same thing. If you're too beer aware, you might not be a bear aware enough. Oh, got it. Okay. Um, so watch out for bears uh coming up from their hibernation um i don't know why but i have a completely different version of bears emerging from their hibernation but i have a pretty broad world view um anyway let's go on to uh newsweek Caitlin Lewis is the author of this article over at newsweek.com. And there's a video. I think it actually shows like a, a bear munching on a car. Let me see. Yeah, there it is. So you got to be careful about bears. They will go where food is. Um, so if you have a trash can in your garage, it's safer in your garage for them to just go on in there and, there's no predators or anything that's going to be... That bear is actually tagged. It has a green tag on its ear. So it's been caught before. Probably so, last time it went into somebody's garage. Pretty interesting. Well, anyway. The article says that they've received... And by they, I mean the Colorado Parks and Wildlife... Um, organization says that they've received 173 reports of bear activity in 25 counties in Colorado. The CPW wrote on Twitter Friday, wonder if they got a $50,000 bill for their news alerts. I was um, thinking the same thing. Bears should not be eating from trash receptacles, bird feeders, or other human provided food sources, but bears are going to bear. People are the solution. Change your habits. The department added, Sorry, that silence was because I was looking at a bear that's kind of munching on a branch from a tree looking right at the photographer. And this it's is from Colorado. like you're next. <laughs> the photographer is.
Mayor oh. Watt, check your audio. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry, this new dynamic isn't working for me. Anyway, um, the article says that the photography is from Jason Clay, Colorado Parks and Wildlife. And the uh, black bear is spotted hanging out in a tree in Littleton, Colorado. The state's parks and wildlife officials issued a reminder on Friday for residents and travelers to properly secure any bear attractants now that the animal is starting to emerge from hibernation. Yeah, and they're going to go and get food, folks. So lock up your cheeseburgers and honey. Yeah, it said that there was a video of one running off with a lunchbox. So <laughs> that's funny. Hey, boo boo. Um, people who think it's one time, no big deal are totally wrong. Yamashita said in a press release from CPW, uh, Friday, it's a big deal when you compound that one time with how many one timers they get from your neighbors to it adds up. Yep. And it conditions them into believing that that's where they know they can go. And so you need to change your habits and make it a detract. <laughs> May be a detractor, not an attractor. You you want to push them away. You also don't want to harm them. So you have to do it in a, a natural way, which basically means close your garage doors, lock up your trash cans, avoid leaving food out. Um, anything that might cause a, a bear to come waltzing into your neighborhood. Well, and anything you can do in general to just separate you from the bears and vice versa yep. is a good thing because when even though bears don't generally come after humans things can go awry if, if they're too close or they have to take down the bear if they view it as a threat to the humans etc yeah, if a bear has babies then you're going to be the one that's going to lose uh, so make sure your windows are rolled up make sure your doors are closed make sure your garage door is down Basically make it so that bears just can't go waltzing in and either surprise you or get surprised because again, they're not, they're all survival instinct. So they're going to lash out if they feel threatened. They don't have great um, vision. They have tremendous smell. Um, so you're supposed to be the superior intellect. So make sure that you're situationally aware. Um, but that's another PSA from hometown. Hey, I and think we're done for tonight. Supposed to be. <laughs> yeah, supposed to be. Um, so we're done for tonight, and that means I bring you back to the welcome sign of hometown. Mash that button, and then a whole bunch of new articles will be presented here. Um, it's more dynamic for every uh, citizen, every person that visits hometown. Um. The news comes flowing in little headlines, tiny little snippet from the source, urging you to go and visit the source. Um, uh, I don't know. There's a lot of Nintendo stuff that I have an embargo on. And um, I we're still talking about, about the Stranger Things and um, some other things, of course, delayed because of the writer's strike. Yep. Oh, Eurovision. The yes. The Eurovision Song Contest um, has been won by um, a Swedish singer, I believe. Is that what that says? Yeah, Swedish singer Loreen wins Eurovision Song Contest for second time at event. Well, I don't know what that is. 
What is that word? Uh, Fetting, like uh, celebrating or whatever your Ukraine. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Oh, I've never heard that phrase, that word. Huh. Interesting. I don't normally get caught off guard by verbiage, but okay. Oh, the Twitter article is interesting, too, about perceived censorship ahead of Turkey's election. Oh, interesting. Hey, Dunkster is here. How are you? Good to see you. Um, I don't know that much about Eurovision, so I wouldn't be able to speak to it. Um, I just know that it's been an ongoing thing. Um, and I heard earlier today that um, this Swedish singer won. So pretty cool. Um, there's supposed to be a playlist available already. As far as I know, I'll, maybe I can look um, and um, we can talk about it at the next show if I can find it. Yeah, we're going to have to uh, look into it. Dunkstar, is it okay to... I think that I asked you once before if it's okay to make um, your statements known. I always ask um, at least once um, if it's okay to repeat what gets asked in my chat. Um, and then from that point on, I basically just say it. So, um, And if you're interested in having a conversation, then come on over to uh, twitch.tv slash omtown. Um, Dunkstar, by the way, if you go to twitch.tv slash Dunkstar, it's D-U-N-C-S-T-A-R, um, streams in about two hours, uh, hour and a half. Yeah, um, closer to midnight. Now that we have a time zone change here in the States, it kind of pushed Dunkstar a little bit further away from when I always watched. Um, but now <laughs> I see Dunkstar up until about two o'clock in the morning and then again at six o'clock. So I, this is a phrase that I probably won't say ever again, but I, I sleep with Dunkstar um, almost every day. And there you go, Dunkstar. It is now out there. <clears throat> Maybe I need to, oh, look at that. We're way past an hour. Hmm. I'm going to have to go. Uh, yeah. But thanks for hanging out. <laughs> and I'll see you in a couple of hours. That'll be the last time. <laughs> huh. Why am I suddenly banned from his channel? What's going on here? <laughs> so we've already gone through all of the articles. I don't know how long you've been here. I know that a lot of people uh, come in, check it out for a little bit, and then take off. And, and uh, um, some people lurk. But the number one thing that apparently is still being asked by um, users of Twitter streamers, content creators on, on uh, Twitch is um, for accurate audience counts. Like you never know who is really in the channel. Right. Yeah. I guess you maybe can find out after the fact, but not during which yeah. seems like a basic feature that they could use. Yeah, that that one analytic. But then, uh, you know, a lot of people say, I ah, just don't worry about it. Dunkstar says, I have pictured you in your favorite clothing item. This is nothing. Yeah, uh, because I've been even this show, as a matter of even fact. Even you referenced it. Yes, you did about flying in that attire. 
I said I never get baggage handling fees because I wear my gold thong and nothing else. But then for some strange reason, my ticket price has gone up and they say it's because everybody else has to handle your baggage. Yeah. <laughs> There's a secret to that, by the way, but I'm not going to say it now. I will have to save it for another day. The truth of the matter of the gold thong. Anyway. It's actually, it's kind of like that blue, white, gold. Um, what was it? It's black and blue or gold and white. So that's the problem with my thong. Depending on your perspective, it's a different color. But most people say that it's gold and <laughs> okay that's just dead air and the ai is uh just trying to delete itself no you can't do that i've disabled that command i was trying to look up the color controversy information a uh, dunkstar says that it's 100 white and blue yes merged the two yeah right because it's supposed to be gold and white or black and blue blue and white or black and gold according to this one thing blue and white and black and gold does that sound right that's it i'm out yeah because dunkstar said it's 100 white and blue see am i gonna have to go and look this up i'm not gonna do it i'm just not I, i'm just not we'll have to I'm going to have to stack the deck for tomorrow and bring that in from Snopes. Um, and because uh, they do a deeper dive. Some people have done another deeper dive. Um, maybe I'll just do a special. Googled it. So Dunkstar Googled it. Black and blue, white and gold. Got it. Yeah, that's what I thought. Okay. So, and I think that when... I saw it. I thought that it was um, white, white and gold. Now um, I can't remember what color it appears to be. We'll definitely have to look at it tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow? I'm going to be, as soon as I end the show, we're going to be checking this out. All right, folks. Thanks for hanging out. Really appreciate it. Um, let's see. Do we want to raid somebody who is actually up and about? Ugh, I don't have my window open. Oh, no. You have a great night. Youngster, see you tonight. Um, let's see who is available. I don't see anybody. Oh, Rando is always around. Maybe I'll raid him. Let's do that. We'll raid Rando Taka. Okay. See you all in a little bit, folks. Bye bye.